Welcome to Factum Agri, dedicated to New Zealand's primary industry. Each week, I talk with farmers and producers, industry, the science community, and policy makers to hear their stories and expert opinions on matters relevant to both our rural and our urban communities. This week on Factum Agri, I'm talking with farmer Richard Hilson. Richard runs a mixed farming model with his wife, and I'm keen to hear how things have been going on the ground over the last couple of years and what the future looks like. So let's check in with him now. Hello, Richard. Thank you for joining me on the show. Hello, Angus. Can you please tell me a bit about your farming business, where and what you farm? Um, Karen and I are farming at, at Tatebao in Central Hawke's Bay. Um, got a, a home block that we've had for about 20 odd years, and at um, Karen's family farm, we, we uh, bought the balance of it last year in lockdown. Um, so there's a, about 800 hectares all told. Um, right. And we're farming, yeah, it's pretty mixed, um, about 1,500 deer, 2,500 ewes and, and some trade cattle and a handful of cows. So a little bit of everything. Yeah, fantastic. Um, I understand you're also a vet or were a vet at some point. That must be advantageous from a husbandry perspective. Um, yeah, hopefully. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you're getting your own advice, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, my, I've been. I was a vet for um, 31 years, vet services um, in Waipukurau most of that time. Mm-hmm. And um, my, my main focus as a vet was uh, deer and sheep. Right. Funnily enough, it, um, I was sort of brought up on a sheep and a deer farm, so it, yeah, it, I guess it goes a long way back. Um, yeah, it does from the husbandry point of view. You, I guess, you know, while you're in practice, you're pretty current, talking about the same things to the same people about, you know, the hopefully what's most mm. modern um, mm. modern thinking and yeah so it, it, to be fair over the last 20 years a lot of what I've probably recommended to people written about and stuff is um, how, how it's been applied at home actually and yeah. certainly mistakes I've made at home How has the summer season been going for you? A bit of a game of about three halves currently it was December was real good catch up on rain that was fantastic January mm. hardly rained at all I think we've got about 16 mil Mm. Gosh, things got dried out quick here. Really mm. did, and I, I really? mean, yeah, quite spread. Yeah, um, yeah, just everything slowed down. Then we got we've had 220 mils for February so far. Probably not going to get a lot much more this month, but that's that must be some sort of record for us. Yeah, wow. All went green overnight, and yeah, just been pretty amazing. So that'll keep you going through most of autumn. Well, I don't know. It's funny you, know, you get that you get that nice rain, and it, everything jumps out of the ground and goes green. But you know, we haven't had a lot since, and Mm. But, um, it was a few hot days and it looks a bit looks a bit pallid again. But yeah, well, I, yeah, I'm not complaining. Um, some people reckon it came a bit quick, a bit early, but I don't know what a bit early is. It's pretty nice to have green grass instead of yellow. So yeah, no, so we'll take it, and I think we're we'll probably in pretty good shape. Yeah, so you're still getting plenty of heat through the middle of the day. Well, not today. It was only about 15 degrees. It was miserable, cold, and grey. But um, yeah. yeah, we've had some quite hot, muggy days. It's certainly quite muggy after, after the rain if, if the sun comes out. But no, it's, it's um, we we I think we'd be pretty happy. Lots of smiley faces anyway. Mm. And yeah. um, venison prices have lifted a bit, and the forecast is looking better, certainly than it was last year. That will be pleasing. Yeah, yeah. And if you're um, you've got to be a bit glass half full about it, because at least it's it's on the up. But it's um, and we're still a long way behind. I mean, we've had mm. a real battering on venison the last couple of years. I think um, last year when we did our budget, um, just for the deer side of our business alone, we were. We were going to be 120,000 behind uh, mm. just on just on the venison side, um, and, and that's effectively, you know, the, all the costs go into the 
the other part of the venison business. So yeah, no, it's it's great and it's slow, and I think there's some positive stuff. But you know, you've got to be realistic about it. That you know, when you compare it with the price of lamb or milk fat, or and, and, and against the cost of our imports. But yeah, it's get it's it's slowly, slowly, isn't it? It's yeah, because um, pre-COVID, what those contracts peaked at about eleven dollars fifty, something like that. Yeah, we um we we were having we had lots of smiles on on dials then. That was mm. fantastic. Yeah. But, um, yeah. Support that was also supported by the the pet food industry. Yeah. Uh, in thirty odd years, I've been deer farming. We always said we'd like some stability around the pricing, but it just never happened, mm. and it probably never will. But um, yeah, eleven fifty. If we if we could have that now, we'd take it. That's yeah, sure. yeah. Is velvet a significant part of your farming business? Of course, prices have been pretty good on the velvet front through the pandemic. Yeah, and that's um that's the that's the upside for the for the deer at present. Yeah, we've um had a fair concentration on on velvet um for a long time now, mm. and but we yeah we've got a oh, about three hundred odd stags that we velvet, and that produce about twenty percent of our gross farm income. Yep, um benefits them quite well with the work programs and stuff. So I enjoy the deer and enjoy the velveting antlers. So mm. it's been um, it's been good. It, I must admit, you know, there was a question mark around animal products and COVID a couple of years ago and it, it was um, yeah so hold your breath on that mm. with velvet but no it's it's good and it's been well marketed and it's a, it's a good story now, yeah thank goodness that part that allowed us to do you know, effectively diversification in deer yep and it's a bit of an offset around the venison and of course deer as you mentioned are not the only livestock you have in your farming business how does sheep and cattle fit in and not only from a trading perspective and market risk diversity but in terms of feed management grazing cycles and the synergies that come from a mixed farming model um you could probably spend a long time talking about that one um at least the diversity is always good i mean you know right now it'd be great to have a whole lot of sheep and beef and and, and velvet stags and no venison, but you know, over the years, it's the, the, that combination. We, you, I guess you never get all of the good times because something's a bit down, but you also never get completely smacked over yep. when it's not right. So it's, the diversity's been good. From the rest of the management, so um, it, it spreads our workload. It can make it pretty busy at times. Yeah. Um, but instead of dealing with four thousand ewes, you're dealing with two and a half thousand, and when you finish with those, you go and deal with. 500 hinds it's instead of dealing with two and a half thousand hinds yeah so it's quite it's it makes it a bit more interesting it can be a bit tricky um for measurement perspective because not everyone loves deer and mm. certainly a lot of people you could employ have often not handled them so it's yep. a bit of a make or break when they first do mm. um from a feed management grazing cycle perspective they work reasonably well hinds are a little bit trickier especially in a dry environment like we are that sort of seems a bit silly but they're lactating through summer Right. So, okay, beef cows lactating through summer and dairy cows lactating in summer are well fed. Yep. Um, but you, you don't want your ewes lactating then or hoggets mm. um, in the dry environment. That, so that, that's a bit tricky. Mm. Um, and sheep certainly graze a hell of a lot lower than deer do. You've got to be mm. real careful that you don't graze a paddock out with sheep and then hope the deer will survive on it because they won't. But some real good synergies around um, animal health as, as well. Mm. Um, and... And from that perspective, you know, sheep grazing on cattle, uh, you know, cattle, sheep and deer, pastures, mm. the way that they can be mixed up, you can certainly reduce your inputs in tidy, you know, grooming pastures and things. It's just, there's a lot of mobs in a lot of different places needing a lot of thinking. 
Yeah. Not, not yeah. quite so simple. And you touched on animal health considerations. What do you need to consider in terms of animal health uh, in a mixed farming model compared to, say, just farming deer or, or sheep and beef for that matter? Um, probably a few of these are going to be listening, thinking there'll be a few things I don't tick off here, I imagine. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, it's quite, yeah, quite a big, again, a probably a pretty big topic. Um, there's a, you certainly can reduce the need for drenches for either, you know, either species. Often on deer farms, people have a, a fully loaded deer farm on one side and a whole lot of sheep or cattle on another, and they don't they don't really interact. But if mm. you've got a bit more fencing than you need for the deer, you can. there's a lot of stuff you can do in terms of pasture management and mm. um, reducing parasite challenge right. for, for both species. Not always all year, but there'll be periods when you can do a good job to tidy up a, a messy paddock. Yeah. Um, there's also some diseases they, they they don't share, and some that they do. Like you can get blink tail fever, which is a uh, which is fatal for cattle and deer from sheep. So you, a lot mm. of deer farmers, a lot of deer farmers don't really like sheep because they had there's a lot of work in them. Yeah. But they also that can be a bit of an issue when it falls over the odd deer. Mm. Um, but then by the same token, um, most of the North Island and the, well probably all the North Island and the top of the South have got issues with ticks. Right. On deer farms, they pretty much do. And sheep are a good opportunity to, they, they can be helpful at times to help um, pick ticks up and get them cleaned up to tidy pastures up. Yeah, Those okay. are a couple of good yeah. examples of it. Yeah. And I think we've got a, you know, from with the bit head on, we all know that drink resistance is on the up. And it's, it's yeah, we, we're not, we're not going to fix it with chemicals. We have to fix some of that stuff with management. And I think that's where some of those opportunities lie. Can genetics play a part in fixing that? Um, yes, they can. Um, and there's the, yeah, there is a bit. There's the the, the Carla test, the saliva test that's now being um, it's been in the sheep industry for well, for quite some time now. I, I, somebody else will be listening and say that I've got the timing wrong, but probably been around for about ten years or so. Yep. And it's now and breeders are starting to use it in the deer industry, and um, that's good. There's genetic, and there's definitely lines of deer that are more susceptible. But it's probably a lot more work to be done there. But it's it's, it's expensive and it's difficult. But yeah, like everything else, I think there's, there's just a bit of waste of genetic opportunity. Mm. So, yep, yep, that's a good thinking. I had a yarn to Reese Griffiths recently about deer markets, and it was quite pleasing to hear the good work that Deer Industry New Zealand has been doing in developing new markets, particularly for venison. And of course, that's been spurred on by the pandemic. Are you pleased in general with what Deer Industry New Zealand do for farmers in New Zealand? Yeah, I think they've had a pretty tough road the last couple of years. I, yeah. I wouldn't want to be in there trying to explain away. Yeah, the venison schedule. Um, mm. It's difficult. I mean, we. I think the industry is quite unique. We've got a. We've got a really um, approachable and available executive team. Um, you know, they're a great bunch of people, and they're really visible. You know, we see them out and about. Yeah. Um, it has been really tough. Um, and if, I guess if I was brutally honest, you know, we, farms have been under a heap of pressure the last couple of years, uh, making some pretty short to medium term farming decisions based on. Um, you know, what they can see in front of them, but it hasn't, I would have thought for most of the last two years, the light at the end of the tunnel was probably more likely to be a train coming. Yeah, um, right. So, yeah. you know, it's pretty hard, I think, from a leadership perspective. Um, the DINs, you know, there, there wasn't a lot of good news to spread. We're finding it a little bit now, but we're still a bit behind the eight ball price-wise. But um, they've got a good team and they're pretty, you know, they're really well connected and it's, I get it's a shame, really. You know, we I guess the industry's talked about diversification away from traditional European game markets for for decades, and, and it turned out when COVID hit that we actually went as 
diversified after all we were still going down the same old track but COVID mm. certainly forced that change and it um, I guess that's what bearing the fruit now you know that we suddenly we at a time of year when we don't see schedules go up they go down they're actually going up again so mm. I think um, you know Credit and you talk about train coming towards you. Many farmers certainly in this country have been in many ways looking at that train and in particular around policy change and things like that. Have you made it to one of the emissions options roadshows that Beef Plus Lamb and Dairy and Z are running currently? And have you got a view on what is being asked of farmers in terms of emission reductions? Um, yeah, well, no, I haven't been to a roadshow. We um, Carol went to one in Danaview the other day and yeah, I'd, I'd only get two you can work me up on this one, Angus, because um, no, the, the government just so they very gracefully extend, gave an extension of about a month for beef and lamb dairies to get this done. Mm. But then we're under these 100 people restrictions and, and that Danavit was packed out. And I said to Karen Ollick, I'll come with you. She said, no, you can't. But we've been messaged to see if we're actually coming to make sure that they've got, haven't got a spare seat. So, yeah. you know, that's a real, I mean, you can't. I it's don't a real know challenge. how you can honestly say, you know, you haven't got a chance to hear what other people have got to say yet. And, you know, how do 100 farmers in Danaview represent the, 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 you know, the whole Tarawa and the region, yeah. and I think it's just appalling. Uh, but yeah. clearly it's something that someone wants to get done before the next election. Mm. Um, in terms mm. of what farmers are being asked to do and in terms of emission reductions, um, yeah, I'm pretty well aware of what's going on there. I, don't, I wouldn't want to try and talk now about all the different options and the ins and outs of them. But I just, you know, when you look at the numbers that are coming out that were presented at that, at that meeting, and how you know what it's going to cost different sectors of the industry? I, just mind boggles. I you know that there's estimates there of the cost in ETS for deer, you know, going from 15 to 46 cents a kilo mm. um, for venison when you're not even getting eight bucks. Mm. So you, you know you're losing 50 cents of it. Um, I don't know. It, yeah, it's a tough ask. Yeah. We'd probably better not go. <laughs> I'll probably use up more than a lot of time. Yeah, yeah look, it, it's it, a it, it, it's a real bugbear. I, I, I see it being an absolute threat to the deer industry. It's easy to talk how you're going to, we're going to mitigate things, but the, there's a really small suite of opportunity. And the, you know, the, the, the outcome for a lot of people, I think, once the, once the, the road ahead comes a bit clearer, is that the you know, pine trees and, and exiting is going to be, be what you do. I mean, I think deer farmers are as passionate about farming as any farmers, but it's not just deer farmers. Mm. Um, you know, deer are only paying you know, nine, nine bucks a kilo and they're going to pay five cents. Mm. Um, and they've still got the they've still got the thing that produced it. We're going to you know cheap and beef deer, you know 30, 40, 50 cents, and the animal you're basically killing the animal. You're going to the producers that that tax effectively. But anyway, that mm. that's for another day. And there's a lot more clever people than I. I just think there's some not very clever people um, outside of industry driving this, unfortunately. Right. Yeah, we could go on and on about that. Um, can you tell me about the deer industry's advance party that you're involved in? What is that all about? Um, well, that'd be one of the real success stories the last few years. They've been absolutely fantastic. I facilitate an advance party in Hawke's Bay. We call it the Hawke's Bay Originals because there's two others. Um, they funded uh, government funding industry funding together and they sort of behave a bit like a discussion group and, and sort of a combination of that and one-on-one, really. The, the, the key thing about those is the old the knowledge is in the room mantra. Mm. Um, the expectation within the group that someone's got the answer or it can be worked out. Um, and you know, full credit to Dins for this one because it's worked really well. They they got funding, um, P2P funding, and got stuck into it and rolled the, these um, advanced parties out early. And 
the equivalent of the sheep and beef of Naughty Listers would be the Action Networks, but um, they were rolled out late in the funding cycle, uh, whereas these were the, the advanced parties were early. And so they've got a facilitator, got an opportunity to bring outside experts in, but they're generally not used a whole lot. Um, and mm. we were sort of given, I wouldn't say carte blanche, but certainly given a, a fair bit of wriggle room in terms of how they were run. Mm. Um, so they're minuted in things, but we get around all the farms. Um, a lot of these guys who come together, guys and girls, to be fair, that's you know, the husband, wives, yeah. staff members, a lot of people involved, mm. um, get around each other's farms. A lot of them don't know each other or didn't know each other very well. Um, you get around a couple of farms a couple of times and, you know, the the, the laughter and carry on starts to build. Everyone gets to know, get pretty familiar with each other. They're pretty open about suggestions. What's been interesting for me as a vet facilitating is we've hardly ever touched on animal health in our care group. Right. Um, people really interested in genetics, um, feeding and infrastructure. Um, mm. You know, a key start for a lot of these meetings we had is to go to someone's deer shed or look at a system or something they've done. I, I can't imagine a group of sheep farmers or cattle farmers going to the yards to kick a meeting off um, apart from the car park. You know, look, it, mm. it's, the, the people are pretty passionate about making things work better and easier and having, you know, having good setup. So, it's been really good. We've had um, it's had a thirty first meeting as our group um, today, and okay. um, yeah, full turn, full turnout. Yep. Um, and and a really good involved um, afternoon. People come away pretty uh, fired up. So, of course, you know you touched on the social aspect to these meetings add a lot of value, and of course help with the well being of farmers too, don't they? Yeah, and, you know, yeah. There's been some tough times that we. I remember, you know. Well, 2017, it was dry as hell this time of year, and we had a meeting organised that started raining the day of the meeting. But, you know, we, that was a great opportunity to get everyone, everyone fired in pictures of what they were up against, you know, on their farms, what they looked like, and mm. we were getting ready to talk about the, the tricky stuff they're going to have to do over weaning, because you normally wean deer in our environment late February, early March. Mm. Um, and it's really, you know, problem shared, basically. Um, everyone's in the same boat, but if you can, if you can nut it out together... And someone, there's always someone worse off. There's always someone who's, you know, just a little bit more behind the eight ball. And people are quite happy to put their issues aside and help out. And during the, um, the 2020 drought and the lockdown, you know, our group was quite well in touch with each other. How are you doing? You know, do you want a hand? Do you want someone to have a look around? Mm. Um, and there's, there's a bit of that happened. You know, people you can, basically people you can trust who aren't going to judge you. Mm. Um, yep. But who understand your process, your family, your situation yep. well enough to make a to make a, a, a useful, valued judgment. And um, yeah, I, I think we all benefit from it. You know, not and, and I include myself as a facilitator. Yeah, um, it's been it's been outstanding. So yeah, I, the way Dins drove that and the way they um, they they didn't muck around lying, lying down the ground rules and um, supporting it has been um, fantastic. And it been well, I mean, we've only got up, up to close to 300 farmers involved in um, advanced parties at one point, and that's not bad out of an industry of sort of 1,200. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, in spite of all you know, the challenges facing not only deer farming, but farming in general, how's the future look, particularly for our children and our grandchildren? It's oh. <laughs> um, a tricky one. Yeah, I... I um, I think anyone knows me knows I'm pretty positive. I'm not really glass half empty at all. Um, but I, yeah, I, I'm, I'm worried for the first time in a long time. I mean, I think there's been little hiccups along the way before, and there's been 
individual things that we've railed against or, or taken on board or, or procrastinated over, but I, I just can't remember. And I suppose for my living memory, farming has, has been over 40 years, just so many things coming at us at once. Mm. Um, and it's, it's, it's over, I think it's overwhelming. Um, mm. Karen and I are quite heavily involved in a whole lot of that, for better or for worse, with catchment groups and deer industry stuff. And, mm. um, and it just, at times you wonder, how the hell are you going to get through it? I, mm. it? And it's sad that one of the best financial options for a lot of people now is, is you know, in Hill Country especially, is to is to sell it off to pine trees. Yeah. Um, mm. But I think, you know, what, what we, you know, and a lot of the industries are making a real good effort to keep the next generation interested. Um, but to do that, the next generation has to see some money or some opportunity. And I think there'll be some good opportunities for people on um, productive land. Um, mm. I'd like to think that there will be on hill country as mm. well. Mm. I, I think there's, there's there's always an opportunity for people out there, and there's so many passionate farming people that they're going to keep going as long as they can. At the end of the day, we're going to run out of petrol. The, the world needs food, not pine trees. Mm. Um, mm. And I don't know how we're going to cut them all down when we decide we're hungry. But mm. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I'm, I'm, I used to be really positive. Um, I love farming. I love the farmers. I love the you know the whole aspect of everything about it. But I think it's it's um, it's fighting a hell of a lot of battles right now. But there's mm. some good people involved, and with an ounce of luck, we'll win. We'll come out here still looking pretty good. But I hope that our kids and grandkids can keep farming in New Zealand. That would be awesome. I'm certainly with you on that. Hey, look, I know you're busy. I thank you very much for your time today. No, no worries. Thank you to Richard for joining me. I really enjoyed catching up with him, and I liked his mixed farming model of deer, sheep and beef. You know, it is very rare that every aspect of farming is winning at the same time. And by farming different species, you can mitigate or certainly manage market variables like we have seen over the past couple of years. And venison has been a market doing it tough. I do believe the future will be bright for venison as markets continue to be developed and the world opens up once again. Before I sign off this week, I have to mention the FTA with the UK. Well done to Damien O'Connor for getting this squared away, and this will undoubtedly benefit New Zealand exporters. And I certainly hope farmers directly see the benefit at the farm gate, as it is them who truly deserve it. What I would say is now is the time to go into bat for our farmers, Mr O'Connor. Whilst a free trade agreement gives with one hand, increased unworkable policy takes away with the other. That's all from me this week. Thank you for listening and catch you next time.